every week, journalists at the University of Florida College of Journalism and Communications report important stories for the people of North Central Florida and beyond. For the next two and a half months, it's just going to be kind of, you know, the same deal. They're going to keep campaigning. They're going to keep making sure that their issues are heard. They're going to keep getting out there in the community to make sure that people understand that there is an election and that they can vote in it. They had everyone pull up to like their little spot and then the child got out of the car, sat in a chair. They like explained to them what was going on. It was actually a really quick process once they actually did the shot. You'll definitely see a price increase when you go into the store. So it's definitely something that shoppers need to be aware of and be prepared for when they go to buy their food. This is The Rewind from WUFT News. I'm your host today, Melissa Fato. I'll take you through the strongest reporting coming out of our newsroom and a discussion with the journalists who write these stories. Let's get into the stories from this week. A special election for a new seat on Gainesville City Commission took place this week, but ended in a runoff now scheduled for January. Two candidates remain in the race. Producer Ariana Aspidu spoke with independent Florida Alligator reporters Megan McGlone and Troy Myers to learn more about this race and what it means for Gainesville in the coming months. So before we dive into what's happening now and what's to come in January, can you tell me a bit about why this special election happened here in Gainesville in the first place? There are five candidates running, and so there was Sherwin Henry, Matt Howland, Cynthia Chestnut, Gay Kimowitz, and Patrick Engel. Yeah, so the reason for the runoff is because that neither candidate received the needed 50% of the vote. So Cynthia Chestnut, she only received 46% of the vote, and Matt Howland received 41% of the vote. So they both fell short of that 50% mark, and in the end, when uh, the polling was closed, Cynthia Chestnut was leading by 560 votes. That's pretty much the reason um, it has to be at least 50% of the vote. We're looking at a runoff election for the city commission position that is now set for January. What happened this time around that the special election happened? Yeah, so Commissioner Gail Johnson actually submitted her resignation on August 23rd. She had a few issues with the city. She kind of didn't want to be held accountable for the decisions that they were making. A few of the things that she had issues with were some unkept promises. Um, She also had issues with the city manager, Lee Feldman's employment because he had previously been investigated for some issues of gender discrimination and retaliation claims. So she kind of didn't want to be involved in the city anymore. She ended up having to resign. And so because there were more than six months between her resignation and the next election, they had to have a special election to replace her position. So now to go into the candidates themselves, from your reporting, can you tell me a little bit firstly about Cynthia Chestnut and her history with Gainesville? Yeah, so Cynthia Chestnut, she's um, she's been in politics for quite a while. She was actually the first Black female city commissioner back in 1987, and then she became the first Black female mayor for Gainesville in 1989 also. So for her campaign, when she was campaigning in this um, election, she was really looking to support energy efficiency for the city. She wants to protect neighborhoods from gentrification, and she really wants to reduce violence. 
And now for Matt Howland, what can you tell me about him and, and his platform? Matt Howland is actually new to Gainesville politics. He's been living in Gainesville for about 13 years, but recently moved back. His candidate um, platform is kind of going back to the basics. He wants to focus a lot on utility rates, garbage collection, all of the things that he says local government should be good at. So kind of he quoted the boring stuff, you know, making sure that the city runs well the way it should. And also along the lines of Cynthia Chestnut, focusing on like utility rates, energy, road repair, waste collection. To my understanding, you both did some field reporting at polling stations on election day. Can you tell me a little bit about what you saw and what what was the turnout? It was a pretty low turnout. You know, it was only 13%. We have almost 90,000 eligible voters in Gainesville but there weren't any lines. I went to probably five polling stations throughout the day, maybe six. And there was kind of a trickle of people I'd say at each, just a few people that I got to talk to each time. I got a lot of voters that told me that they were coming out to support Cynthia Chestnut, which I'm sure um, reflected in her winning 46% of the vote, Matt Howland winning 41%. Yeah, so I went to probably five or six different locations also. I saw pretty much the same thing that uh, Megan saw. You know, there's just kind of a steady trickle of people. Every few minutes, a new person would come in and vote and I'd get to talk to them for a little bit. Um, Most people wouldn't disclose who who they would vote for, but you could kind of get the feeling that they believed in the person they were voting for. They felt very strongly about them. I actually at Mount Carmel Baptist Church, one of the precincts, um, I was just about to leave and I saw this man pull up with a sign, a really big seven foot tall sign for Sherwin Henry. And I figured I should go over and talk to him to see why he's out there. And as I was walking up to him, I was going to ask him, you know, can I ask you a couple questions? I'm a reporter for the alligator. And as I was pulling my phone out to record him, I asked him what his name was. And then he turned around and it blew my mind. It was actually Sherwin Henry out there signing for himself on the side of the road at Mount Carmel Baptist Church. And I like choked on my words a little bit, (laughs) but he talked to me and he was saying, you know, he felt really good about the day and he was very much looking forward to it. He said he didn't, you know, no matter what the outcome was going to be later that day, he was just happy that he got the opportunity to run and meet the people that he did. So the Alligator staff report on the night of the election, which you both contributed to, included comments from the candidates. What did other reporters say that these candidates were saying about the runoff? Yeah, so I know Cynthia Chestnut said that she wants to keep engaging voters until the runoff. She wants to keep making sure that she discusses issues that are relevant to East Gainesville and following along with her platform, making sure that she gets those votes in that she needs to win. Um, And the same goes for Matt Howland as well. He was saying he's optimistic about the runoff. He um, wants to make sure he focuses on economic development also in East Gainesville, and he's just going to keep making sure for the next two and a half months that he continues to push his own platform campaign and do the same thing that he's been doing as well. So I think both candidates are still pretty optimistic about the runoff, making sure that they're continuing to engage voters and making sure that they're continuing to raise um, awareness of their platform and of their election itself. Mm -hmm. So going into the near future, can you tell me a little bit more kind of what you were saying about what's going to happen now until January? Is there going to be as much campaigning as there was? Kind of what's Gainesville going to look like? We're currently working on like a follow-up story to see, you know, how are the uh, candidates going to make up for that 
however many percentage points they need to win because you know we had 10% of the population vote for Sherwin Henry and there was about 1% voting for Gabe Kimowitz and Patrick Ingle. And so, you know, how are those votes going to be split up between Howland and uh, Chestnut? You know, how are they going to make sure that they are the ones that win? So that is something that we're directly working into right now. But for the next two and a half months, it's just going to be kind of, you know, the same deal. They're going to keep campaigning. They're going to keep making sure that their issues are heard. They're going to keep um, getting out there in the community to make sure that people understand that there is an election and that they can vote in it. I feel like they should focus on making the community aware that there is an election because, I mean, 80 percent of the eligible voters didn't even come out to vote. So clearly a lot of people don't know that it's actually happening. And I think the best way is just to unlock that percentage of eligible voters in Gainesville that don't even know about it. Because if you just get a couple hundred more people out to vote, then that could just, you know, it could flip it the other way. That was producer Ariana Aspidu speaking with independent Florida alligator reporters Megan McGlone and Troy Myers about Gainesville's upcoming runoff election for the vacant seat on the city commission, which will take place in January. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Tell Me About It is about the very people who touch the heart of North Central Florida. I'm your host, Sue Wagner, and each week we talk to those who work to elevate the quality of life in our area. That's Tell Me About It, Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. here on WUFT. Explore the history and culture of our state as the Florida Historical Society presents Florida Frontiers. Discover how history impacts our lives today as we travel to historic sites from Pensacola to Key West and all points in between. From native people to Spanish settlers to cracker cowmen and beyond, we examine the diverse heritage of the Sunshine State. That's Florida Frontiers, presented by the Florida Historical Society. Sunday morning at 7.30 on WUFT 89.1, 90.1. Welcome back to the Rewind from WUFT News. I'm Melissa Fato. On October 29th, the Food and Drug Administration approved the use of the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine for children ages 5 to 11. At the time of the announcement, approximately 8,300 COVID-19 cases in children this age resulted in hospitalization, according to the CDC. On Wednesday, UF Health Screen Test Protect held a drive-up vaccine clinic for children in Alachua County. Over 200 children received their first dose and were scheduled for their second. Producer Kristen Moorhead spoke with WUFT reporter Kaylee Whitten about this event. Tell me a little bit about this drive-up clinic. How many people were there? What did it look like? Really set the scene for me. So it's at the um, Phillips Center garage. They do a lot of like the COVID testing there, drive-up and stuff. And so there was probably like a steady stream of about five to six cars in and out the whole time that I was there. I was there for about a, like an hour. Um, they had it like set up to kind of like get the kids excited. They had balloons everywhere. Um, they had like a teddy bear sitting there like on a chair right when you pulled in. Um, you were greeted by like a deputy wearing a cowboy hat. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, it was all like pediatric, um, Shan's pediatric like nurses and stuff, um, working the event, like doing the actual like shots and like taking care of like the kids. 
Um, so they were all dressed in their cute little like cartoon scrubs and really um, being able to handle the kids' emotions very well because, you know, shots are traumatic as a kid. So the CDC only recently approved the vaccine for children ages 5 to 11. Did you talk to any parents or kids or what was the, what were the emotions? What was the vibe? What was the mood going into this? Yeah, so I wasn't allowed really to talk to any of the parents or kids. Um, but the vibe I think was, was pretty good. There were some kids that were kind of upset, but, um, everyone there that was working was like really helpful to kept like calm the kids down. Um, and you mentioned in the story, but vaccinating children is a much different process than vaccinating adults. Can you explain a little bit some of the differences that they had to do for vaccinating this young age group? Yeah, so the dose is smaller. Um, I think it's like a 0.2 dose. They had um, people from the College of Pharmacy there set up in the Phillips Center um, doing the dosage. So um, they took the vaccination time that they know um, takes for like adults. They cut that in half for the kids um, just to like allow that time to um, kind of let the kids feel all of the feels that they're experiencing while like getting the shot. Um, and yeah, the dosage is different. Um, they had everyone pull up to like their little spot and then the child got out of the car sat in a chair they like explained to them what was going on and then they it was actually a really quick process once they actually did the shot how did they calm nervous kids down you know mentioned that getting a shot can be very traumatic for a child did they have any uh contingencies in place if a child got too nervous um, I don't know if they had anything planned specifically. I know that they had, um, like, lollipops and cookies and stuff for the kids. Um, someone mentioned that they had toys as well, like, to calm the kids down. Um, but, yeah, I think hopefully the, the vibes of the happy, you know, excited nurses that were helping them helped them, like, put them at ease. Who all did you talk to for the story? Um, so I originally saw a message about it. Um, the school district sent out a message about it. Um, you know, what was going on. I kind of quoted that a bit. And then I also talked to um, a physician's assistant that was helping run it. What did, what did he say about the event? Um, so he said that the slots filled up very fast. The, um, message I think was sent out to parents around noon that day and, um, slots were filled up by five. They had, um, 400 or no, not 400, 240 kids, um, sign up. And in the first hour, they had about 71 vaccinated. At the time I was there, I think it was about 113 were vaccinated. And um, do you have any insight as to what's next? Are they planning any other events for vaccinating more children in the county? Yeah, so he said it's um, pretty flexible for the future as of now. They um, definitely have um, December 8th booked to um, give the kids that got their vaccine um, 
yesterday, the the first day that it happened. Um, they're going to have another event on December 8th to give them their second dose. And then they're hoping to also spread it around the county. But um, he also said that they're hoping in the meantime that other other children will go to like their primary care or like places like that to receive the vaccine. What is there anything about reporting on this story that surprised you? I'm not sure. I don't think there were too many surprises. Um, I think maybe just like the turnout of the event and how quickly people signed up um, and just were like eager to get their, their children vaccinated and ready to go. If you had more time reporting on this story, what's one thing you would want to add to it? Um, I would have liked to talk to a child that got it and, um, you know, hear about their experience, what emotions they were feeling, and if they were happy that they got it, you know, that kind of thing. And is there anything else that you would like to add that you think we didn't get to in this interview? Not really. I mean, everyone there was super friendly, super nice, um, perfect to be, like, interacting with children. It was, it was a great setup, the way that it was. That was producer Kristen Moorhead talking to WUFT reporter Kaylee Whitten about a drive-up vaccine clinic for children ages 5 to 11 in Alachua County. According to a message to the parents from the Alachua County School District, the health department will also be providing free COVID vaccinations to younger students during school hours beginning on December 7th. We'll be right back after this short break. Sometimes positive change takes innovation and sometimes courage. And she had a bright idea to start a nonprofit with the intent of helping him and men and women coming home from Iraq and Afghanistan. Sometimes it takes both. I'm Sue Wagner, and each Sunday morning at 7, I have conversations with the people who seem to bring out something good in all of us. That's Tell Me About It Sunday mornings at 7 on the WUFT Media app and online at WUFT.org. Welcome back to The Rewind from WUFT News. I'm your host for today, Melissa Fato. Now looking forward to the holiday season, Thanksgiving shopping might look different this year for Alachua County residents. Supply chain delays means that shoppers may have a hard time finding their ideal turkey for a lower price. Producer Sarah Mandile spoke with WUFT reporter Kendall Brandt about how supply chain issues are affecting local grocery stores and what Thanksgiving shoppers should expect. So basically, I had heard actually some family members and people in the community complaining about shortages ahead of Thanksgiving, and that's how I got this idea. Um, I remember specifically my mother telling me that she was having a hard time finding stuffing in the grocery store. So I thought, hmm, that's a little interesting. And so I did some digging and found out that there was actually a shortage of items like pie shells. Um, small turkeys were hard to find this year. Um, so there's not necessarily a shortage with turkeys, but particularly small ones, which tend to be more popular. Um, so that's definitely what led me to my idea. And I really wanted to highlight a local grocery store here in Alachua County. 
because I think it's important to look beyond our local chains. And yes, they, of course, those stores do widely impact the community, but also these local stores also have a large impact on our local community here. Um, so I went and talked to folks at wards and I also talked to people with Publix Corporate and they both expressed similar concerns um, surrounding these shortages ahead of Thanksgiving. It's impacting us here in Alachua County, but it's also like a national issue. So from what I talked to um, Dr. Jason Scheffler, he is a professor here at the University of Florida in the IFAS department. And he basically said one of the main issues this year was aside from the supply chain issues, last year we had a lot of small gatherings. So a lot of these small turkeys were killed off last year to provide for the demand for these small turkeys because people were not gathering in large groups due to COVID-19. So this year, now that the CDC recommends that we can all meet in person again, people are seeking out smaller and larger birds, but they only have the stock for the larger ones. So it's been a little bit difficult and people are tend to stick to their ways for Thanksgiving. It's a tradition. So they do not want to stray from buying their traditional turkey. Um, but as Dr. Jason Scheffler said, we might have to use alternative methods. Um, you might have to buy a substitute, like a turkey breast, or he said, I believe a prime rib. That's also something that you could do. Um, so just being flexible with your plans and shopping early. So shopping now has been the advice that I've gotten from all of my sources. They've told me you should go out and shop now. Um, so you can ensure if you want something specific for your Thanksgiving day meal, you can get it. And that's the only real way you can ensure. How much have turkey prices gone up this year compared with past years? Since this time last year, turkey prices have increased by 22%. And these are grade A, eight to 16 pound frozen turkeys, which tend to be very, very popular for folks buying for Thanksgiving. So this price increase has also led to household spending more and with like economic troubles right now and different people really in need, this causes some issues for people. And it also, because the demand for these birds is so high and the supply is smaller, that also drives up the price. So you'll definitely see a price increase when you go into the store. Um, that's what they said at Wards, what they said at Publix as well. Um, so it's definitely something that shoppers need to be aware of and be prepared for when they go to buy their food. Um, I also found that it's not only stores that are being hurt by the shortage or by the lack of small birds, or generally because people are spending more money, they don't have the money to donate to local food banks like the Bird of the Mighty that I um, spoke with, Lisa Mueller, who was the um, communications director for Bread of the Mighty, and she really told me that they're seeing less donations come in. So she's really um, concerned about that. She wanted to make it clear that she wants to urge the community to come out and get these donations, whether it be with their time, by volunteering money or food, they, they're really desperate for these donations to help families here in Alachua County and the neighboring counties that don't have the means to get a Thanksgiving meal or a meal in general, not even on Thanksgiving. Um, she also said that their need has not gone down. If anything, it has remained the same as it was last year. 
So this decrease in their donations seems to be affecting their drive. Even the, um, the professor that I spoke with, uh, Jason Chepler, he also said that there's other impacts like the fires out West could also contribute to these shortages because the turkeys have to come from somewhere. So even if there aren't many turkey farms in California, other states and other farms have to make up for that loss that was created through wildfires, things like that. Interesting. Okay. You were able to speak with grocery store workers as well as shoppers. What were some of the different experiences your sources had with supply chain issues? So basically, when I went to Ward's supermarket, they ensured me that there would be a price increase. What they are hoping for is they're hoping Brian Ward, the poultry manager, told me that they are hoping for good availability as far as their amount of turkeys coming in, but he does not think that there's going to be a large variability in size. So certain families or shoppers, if they want to get their set on a specific pound that they want to get of a turkey, they may not be able to get that, um, or they may be paying a higher price if they are able to find exactly what they want on the shelf. Um, Publix said that they were really preparing for the shortage upcoming to Thanksgiving. However, um, they're dealing with supply chain issues as well on a week-to-week basis. And that's what um, their communications director for Florida told me. Um, so they're really, they said that they're preparing, but there's always something new from week to week. So she couldn't give me a definitive answer for that. Um, I talked to a shopper who is a Gainesville resident and she, I, when I asked her if she was concerned, she was more concerned that this could be a lasting issue um, within our community and within our nation. She thinks this is going to be a lasting issue because we do not pay, in her words, we do not pay workers enough to give them incentive to work. So we have that shortage of labor with the trucking industry, the service industry, and jobs within the supply chain, which is what's causing these supply chain issues. And Susan White, the shopper at Ward's supermarket, she said that she believes this is because we are not paying people enough, so they do not want to work um, for these different industries. So she was saying that we really need to help workers with their wage benefits, things like that, so we can get more people employed and get our food to our grocery stores. So that was definitely an interesting perspective. She was thinking about it on a broader scale, um, but she said that she already warned her daughter to go get a turkey. So her family was prepared uh, for Thanksgiving. So that is great. And that's another um, example of shopping early and how that can get you exactly what you want. That was producer Sarah Mandile speaking with WUFT reporter Kendall Brandt about what Thanksgiving grocery shopping is expected to look like in the midst of national supply chain issues.
That's all for today. This episode concludes this season of The Rewind from WUFT News. We hope we've brought you valuable insight into the happenings of our community every week. Stay tuned for one more special episode of The Rewind coming in December. And after the holiday season, we'll be back early next year with all new episodes about the local issues you care about the most. The Rewind from WUFT News is produced by Ariana Aspidu, Sarah Mandile, Kristen Moorhead, and Melissa Fato. Our executive producer is Sky LeBron. WUFT News is operated out of the College of Journalism and Communications at the University of Florida. I'm Melissa Fato. Thanks for listening.